Section 7 of Miss Priscilla Hunter and My Daughter Susan by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. My Daughter Susan, Chapter 2 Out on Duty. You are an intense temperance woman, I see, I said, smiling on Miss Susan as having laid aside her bib apron, she made ready for a walk. No, ma'am, I'm not. I'm simply reasonable. I don't know that I feel more intense about temperance matters, or at least that I exhibit any more zeal about them, than I do about the clothes I shall wear, or a dozen other things that might be mentioned. There are a great many duties which take time and planning and trouble. Can't you go downtown with me? Mother is to be engaged with the dressmaker, and the morning is lovely for a walk. As this was precisely what I wanted, namely, to see what Miss Susan would do next, and how she would do it, I was prompt in my acceptance. The same characteristics which marked her movements from room to room attended the preparation for this walk. "'Mother,' she called at the foot of the stairs, "'I shall have to pass Mrs. Seymour's while I am downtown. Do you want that pattern returned?' "'Yes, indeed, daughter.' came the gratefully toned answer from her mother's room. I am very glad you thought of it. Then Miss Susan put her head in at the door of the sewing room. Miss Perry, I have to go downtown. Do you want me to match the silk you spoke of? Oh, yes, if you will be so kind, was the grateful answer. On her way upstairs, she caught up little Faye for a parting kiss, and whispered that, Sister had the dolly's measure, and was going to stop and have some kid slippers cut this very morning. When we were fairly started, I noticed that she had a tiny bouquet of home-blossomed flowers in her hand. I'm just going to call at Mrs. Smith's door with these, she said. She is sick, you know, and she is a great lover of sweet-smelling flowers. Now, Mrs. Smith was the wife of a reformed drunkard who lived in a certain little tumble-down house down a certain narrow lane of the city. We were but a few squares from the Carlton homestead when my young lady halted with a cheery smile and bow, having previously made hurried explanation to me. "'There is Charlie Davis. How fortunate! I expected to have gone half a mile out of my way to see him.' "'Good morning, Charlie. You are just the person I want to see. I need you to help me be indignant.' "'What's up?' asked Charlie. "'You haven't heard, then? I don't believe you could guess.' And there followed a rapid explanation as to the new developments connected with the proposed entertainment. Miss Susan talked eagerly, throwing animation and indignation into her tones, and closed with, did you ever hear of treating ladies in that manner? I consider myself personally insulted. Oh, but I am sure nothing was further from their intentions. It was Charlie's turn to be eager now, something in his tone and manner making me feel almost certain that he was not hearing of the plan for the first time. It is greatly to be deplored, then, that their acts should have fallen so far below their intentions. This was Miss Susan's quick response, given in a tone slightly tinged with sarcasm. Charlie essayed to explain. Well, now, you know there are always some who must have their taste of such things, 
or they think they are not having refreshments at all. But I can assure you that it will not be produced in a manner that will be in the least offensive to the ladies. No, Charlie, certainly I didn't know any such thing. I mean, of course, among the gentlemen with whom we associate. I hope I do not number among my friends any who consider liquors a necessity to their proper entertainment, because then, of course, I could never entertain them. However, there will be no danger of any insult being offered to me this evening. I shall take care not to put myself in a position where that would be possible. Miss Susan, you surely are not going to withdraw your acceptance. The committee depend upon you. They are very foolish. I don't see how they can expect my presence in the face of these developments. Charlie, is it possible that you will attend? Do you mean to insult your temperance principles in that way? I didn't think it of you. Charlie began to look very much embarrassed. Well, you know, he said slowly, there is a lady in the case. I can hardly do otherwise. You can hardly do otherwise than to give her a chance to escape an unladylike position. I hope you don't consider my friend Allie the sort of lady who would like to have her name associated with anything so questionable. Why, I thought you would resent it on her account. Gentlemen have strange ideas of ladies, it seems. Charlie's face grew momently longer. Do you really think that Alice will regard it in that light? He asked doubtfully. We know you are... Well, now, Miss Susan, you are, perhaps, just a trifle extreme on that point. I don't think Alice would mind, so long as the thing wasn't of my planning. Try her, replied Miss Susan, with a sagacious nod of her shapely head. If you and she, when you talk the matter over together, don't come to the same conclusion that I have, why, I shall be very much disappointed in you both, that is all. Is your friend Alice so decidedly in sympathy with you that she is ready to give up a party for the cause? I asked, as we bowed our adieus to Charlie and passed on. She is, by this time, that is, if Frank Holden has seen her, as I sincerely hope and trust he has. I asked him to make his first call on her. She is one of those pretty, softly little ladies, having no idea of deciding a question for herself. She always has someone in view whom she determines shall act as her conscience for the time being, and just at present I occupy that important post. So when she hears of my decision, she will be as staunch a little temperance woman as one need desire. At this point Miss Susan drew a quick little sigh. Oh, dear me, she said. If girls would only take strong ground on this subject and keep it, I believe we could reform the world. Why, just look at it. Every woman owns a little piece of the world. I do, so does everybody. Why can't each one look out for her own little corner? But what could they do? Do? Dear me, first there are things that I want them to stop doing. I want the daughters all over the world to join hands and say they will not, they absolutely will not walk, ride, talk with a man who buys or sells, or votes for the sale of anything that will intoxicate. 
I want them to stick to this position in the face of all opposition, all roughness and coarseness about petticoat government, or leading strings, or old maid warnings. We have had isolated and spasmodic action in this direction, but if we could have a banded together, a concerted action all over the country, and at the same time be working with a will for the reformation of the poor fellows who are trying to be men, don't you see that in time there would have to be results? In other words, don't I see that the young ladies very largely control the young men of this world? Yes, practically I think they do, or could. But have you any hope of enlisting a large number of young ladies under your banner? Oh, as to that, I don't know. I hope a great deal, and work towards my aim all the time, and rejoice over every new recruit, and believe that... At this point we were interrupted, being met by apparently a most thoroughly finished gentleman, at least so far as dress and air and bow were concerned. He almost halted before us as one who would not be at all averse to other than the ordinary passing greetings, and his tone was suavity itself as he bowed his, "'Good morning, Miss Carleton.' Miss Carleton paused in the midst of her sentence to me, raised her clear, strong eyes, looked the gentleman fully in the face, and walked past him with head erect and not the movement of a muscle. "'Wasn't that Senator Granger's son?' I asked, amazed at so complete an ignoring of his presence. "'Yes'm, it was, and a man capable of greater meanness I do not know on the face of the earth.' Only last evening I heard of his telling with much laughter how poor Timmy Baker had signed the pledge for the thirteenth time, and how he laid a wager with Dick Morris that Timmy would break his thirteenth pledge all to pieces before he reached home, and then the interesting story was told of their following him to the nearest corner grocery, and teasing and tantalizing the weak, liquor-crazed brain until he took just one sip to please them and went home as gloriously drunk as possible. That is the way in which the refined account concluded. That man to have the impudence to bow to me. I wouldn't speak to him if he were the President of the United States, and I was to be hanged tomorrow unless I asked him for a pardon. I despise the man, and wherever and whenever I can show him that I do, I mean to." but is that spirit in accordance with the charity which is long-suffering, which hopeth all things, and endureth all things, my hot-hearted young lady? Oh, now, dear madame, I give you credit for greater sense than to suppose you mean a word of that. There has been a sickly sentimentality of that sort talked until I know it by heart, and have as little patience with it as with any form of the non-temperance disease." In point of fact, you and I know that Senator Granger's son is not being ruined by lack of charity. He is much more likely to be ruined by thinking that he is such an irresistible fellow that nobody can withstand him. I believe in charity, of the sort too which suffereth long, and I know some sorrowful drunkards' wives and daughters who are living it but there is a spurious kind that can be mistalked as well as misplaced. Look at Mr. Granger now, across the street. 
that is miss harper he has joined and she is simpering with him showing herself flattered by his attentions and he is leading her brother right straight down to the gutter on the whole when i see such women as miss harper i am for about five minutes discouraged why good morning mr miller i am glad to see you out again miss susan paused suddenly stretching forth a neatly gloved hand to grasp a somewhat rough one ornamented with a frayed cuff and seedy coat sleeve there followed a few minutes of pleasant talk she stopping on the corner for the purpose she inquired for his mother and his sister and as to whether he was strong enough for business and finally said mr miller i have been looking for a call from you haven't you made any calls since your illness he stammered an unintelligible reply and she gaily added remember i'm not a friend of yours a real good hearty one you know until you call at my home expressly to see me we shall be glad to welcome you there on almost any evening as we passed on i said if my eyes do not strangely deceive me that is dick miller that is dick miller susan replied with a satisfied air and tone his very self though he does not look much as he used to and you stop on the street and shake hands with him and pass senator granger's son without even deigning to bow well miss susan i don't know that i have great expectations of seeing the girls of this world follow your example why i thought dick miller was pretty far down the road to the gutter didn't you see his blue ribbon he has joined the noble army of martyrs and is fighting like the brave fellow that he is indeed i shake hands with him on all occasions and i am glad mr granger was in sight to see me do it dick miller has a cordial invitation to my father's house and will be welcomed there whenever he chooses to call and mr granger will be denied if he attempts it which he will hardly do after to-day i will have respectable men for my calling acquaintances End of section seven.